So today's going to be a little bit of an experiment in which we're going to see what is going to end first, the podcast or my voice. I used to do this on the radio. When I would get sick, I'd come back and my voice was always somewhat weak. Now, it was a little different because that was a three-hour radio show, and this is, what, like 15, 20-minute podcast, so it might not be as challenging, uh, but we are back. I apologize for my absence. Um, I had like a small absence for really no reason, just like life got in the way, and then I got sick. <laughs> that was my real excuse for a week. It was the first time I've been sick since COVID, and my, I forgot how much it sucks to get sick and I lost my voice. It was kind of the same thing that I used to get when I was on the radio. I got uh, an infection in my throat. And so like my voice was gone and I had this horrible sore throat and well, I couldn't do much, but we are back. This is what's the name of the markets and mortgages. There we go. It's right there. It's (laughs) that's I, I almost forgot the name of the podcast there for a second. It's been that long. And this is the 200th episode you know, I was planning all this stuff that I was going to do, you know, to kind of celebrate the 200th episode. And um, I didn't do anything. Here we are, just another episode. So I don't want to waste any more time. It's good to be back. I'm not 100% yet. I just finished my round of antibiotics. So I, I do feel a billion times better, but I'm not 100%. And you can kind of hear it in my voice. Maybe I'm just that much... Well, I'm, I'm pretty used to hearing my voice, especially on headphones. And when I, re- when I go back and edit this show, it's probably going to drive me nuts. So my voice is not 100%, but I thought, you know what? There's so much that's going on. I got to do a podcast. So we are back. The 200th episode of Markets and Mortgages. And of course, we're going to start with bad news. And we had a big report come out from the National Association of Home Builders, the Housing Index also known as Home Builder Confidence. And if you were paying attention at all to the news yesterday, you know what happened. It wasn't good. It was bad. It was bad. There's no way to sugarcoat it. We got a little sugarcoating, maybe, possibly. But Home Builder Confidence fell under 50 for the first time since the pandemic. And, you know, the pandemic kind of distorts things because that was such a weird kind of... You know, was it actually being caused by the economy? Mostly it was government shutdowns and everything else. So you really got to kind of look back and go, when was the last time this happened? And it was 2014 that the Home Builder Confidence Index fell under 50. So it's been a while and the index fell six points to 49. And it's not only bad that it fell to the lowest level since 2014. This is now the eighth straight month the index has declined, and we haven't seen that since, yeah, you guessed, the Great Recession, (laughs) the housing crash of 2008. So not at all good comparisons being made right now. The index is now down 26 points when compared to the same time one year ago. And what makes it even worse is that economists were actually projecting the index to hold strong at 55 So normally it's been falling worse than expected. Like you're supposed to fall one point, it falls five points. It wasn't supposed to fall at all. And then it fell under 50. So like I said, all in all, not a good report. Really can't sugarcoat it. The only sugarcoating that you can do is once again, you gotta look to the South. 
when you break it down by region, the South is now the only region that is over 50. It's the only one. And even it had a six point drop. So it fell from 60 to 54 in August. The Northeast fell eight points. It's now at 49 in the Midwest and the West are tied for last place. Good job, losers. The Midwest fell seven points and the West fell five points. And the reason this matters is that 50 indicates that more, or I should say a reading of over 50 indicates that more builders view the conditions as good rather than poor. So when you fall under 50, they look at that as kind of the break-even point. So now the housing market, or I should say the home builder confidence level is now negative. It's officially negative. When you break it down by components, it's, it's not good, at least looking forward. Current sales conditions was the only component that was actually above 50. And it was at 57, so it's, it's well above 50, but it saw a seven-point drop month over month. Six months expectations fell two points to 47, and the traffic of prospective buyers is now at 32. <laughs> that is well in the negative territory. And what's amazing is that four months ago, it was at 61. I mean, that is how much this housing market has changed. And I mean, let's face it, the Fed wanted to slow down in housing and man, they got their wish. <laughs> they got their wish. In fact, the chief economist for the National Association of Home Builders, Robert Dietz, said that we are now in a housing recession, saying in a statement, quote, tighter monetary policy from the Federal Reserve and persistently elevated construction costs have brought on a housing recession. The total volume of single-family starts will post a decline in 2022, the first such decrease since 2011. Once again, not the best comparisons that are happening right now. We're going to talk about the Fed in a little bit. There was a great piece over the weekend by Allison Schranger over at Bloomberg that talked about the Fed and what they've done to the housing market and the lasting implications of those decisions. But let me ask you a question. Do you think the housing market's gonna crash? Now, a lot of you that listen to this podcast probably don't think the housing market's gonna crash because I have said over and over again, it's not gonna crash. Correction, yes. Could we see localized markets that, well, I think a housing crash is kind of like a bear market where it's 20%. I don't even know if I see housing Localize the markets falling 20%, maybe 15, like the worst. So I don't know if any way you're going to see a crash, but I've talked about this over and over again. The data, the math, the reality of the situation just doesn't make sense for there to be a housing crash. So you probably don't believe there is one. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast and you're taking what I say and, you know, obviously don't just take whatever I say is the word, <laughs> the, the good word, don't believe everything that I'm saying, do your own research. But you know, I look at what, like I said, I look at what's happening and there's no indication. We are so far from where we were in 2008 with not only the products that are being offered to buy a home, but just the equity that exists out there. I mean, remember there was like no equity Everyone was doing these cash outs and they were then flipping over and buying homes with no money down. There was no equity. Now it's the exact opposite. Homeowners are sitting on a ton of equity 
and a crazy low interest rate that you're never going to see again. I mean, who in their right mind would walk away from a home that has like a 2.5% interest rate or a 3% interest? No one's doing that. It's It couldn't be any more opposite from 2008. But if you are someone that does not believe that we are in a housing or we're going to see a housing crash, you are in the small minority, I will say, because a new report from Consumer Affairs finds that 78% of Americans believe that housing crash is coming. Very Game of Thrones. It's coming. The housing crash. Winter is coming for the housing market. In fact, 85% of Americans think the crash will happen either this year or next. So the 85% of the 78%, I'm guessing that's how it works, think it's going to happen either this year or next year. And it's like a small percentage after that. And I mean, I get it. You know, ever since the housing crash of 2008, everyone's been predicting the next housing crash. In fact, I I decided to look this up when I saw this, this poll, because there's nothing I love more than pointing out how pretty much everyone in the media, on YouTube, on Twitter, on podcasts, wherever that are calling for a housing crash now. They've been calling for it for for years. In fact, I went back and I found an article from 2013. So almost 10 years ago, it was a piece by a guy named John Carney. And he said that a housing bubble was beginning to form. I swear to God, I'm not making this up. You could, I, I put a link to it. You know, if you get the companion newsletter, it's in there. If not, you can go to the website, marketsandmortgages.com. I link to it. 2013, the housing bubble is starting to form. So pundits have been causing for this this housing crash for 10 years. I mean, almost 10 years. I mean, that's just sort of, you know, it's human nature, right? Whatever the last disaster was, you assume that the next disaster is going to be what the last one was. And that's why I've always said, I don't think it's going to be housing because the last one was housing. You know, just like people are always wary of internet companies after the dot-com bubble burst. And we didn't see another sort of asset and flip. Well, maybe we did with cryptos. <laughs> maybe we don't. Learn. That was, that was long enough. That was like 20 years though. So maybe that was a little bit different there. So I just don't think there's going to be a housing crash because everyone is constantly watching housing calling for a housing bubble. But let's face it over the last two years, according to the data nationally, home prices are up about 30% in two years and in localized markets. I mean, it's up somewhere up 40, 50, 60%. So I can understand why people are starting to say, you know what, this this looks like and feels like we're headed towards a housing bubble. But here's what's interesting is that most Americans that are expecting a crash are prepared for it in that they're ready to buy. See, it's it's they're they're I guess they're they're following that old adage. Was it was it Rock it's attributed to him, right? Rockefeller. I think it's Rockefeller which is, you know, when there's blood in the streets, buy even if the blood is your own. Is it? No, it's not Rockefeller. Who is it? I know. I always say it's like a podcast. I could just pause it and go look it up. And then, you know, we'd have our answer. But <laughs> that's not how I roll here. Whoever it was that said that. Um, everyone's like ready for it. They're like, all right, here comes the housing crash. Home prices are going to fall. And I'm going to be able to buy a home. So 75% of respondents said they have plans to buy a home if the market crashes. 
And on average, they have just under $30,000 saved to help them buy. I mean, it's kind of a weird, it's like the exact opposite of 2008 where nobody thought the housing market was going to crash and then it collapsed and there were no buyers. And now here we have all these people who are like, the housing market's going to crash and I'm ready to buy <laughs> when it happens. Uh, Zoomers, AKA Generation Z, were the most likely to want a housing crash at 84%. Props to that 16% that's not falling into the, uh, not falling into the peer pressure. They're holding strong. And let's face it. There was a report out from the National Association of Realtors. Home affordability is at the worst level it's been since 1989. So I can understand why people not only think the housing market's going to crash, but are almost kind of rooting for it because they can't afford a home. And they're like, we just need prices to fall like 10, 20%. Get back. Well, I mean, even if they fall 20%, they wouldn't get back to pre-pandemic levels. They have to fall a little bit more than that. Uh, but let's get back close to that. And I'll be able to afford a home. But here's here's the good news that I found in the report. This is some good news. When given a choice between a crash or a correction, correction's more natural, less devastating, probably 5-10%. Like I said, a, a crash, I believe, is like kind of like a bear market, like 20% is sort of the, the technical math on that. More people, 27%, said they would rather, or excuse me, 17% would rather see a correction than a crash. So 80% to 63%. So I'm glad to see that at least humanity to some extent is kind of good, even though 63% are still calling for the the housing crash, which would be horrible. It would, you know, that'd, that'd be bad. Some people would have to foreclose on their homes and walk away. You don't want to see that happen. I would, I would like to see in all honesty would be more like a stagnation of home prices for the next like five years, maybe like one, 2% growth, if that, and then that way, you know, incomes rise and we sort of get more to a more normalized housing economy, housing market and an overall economy, which would then allow more people to buy. I mean, home prices just skyrocketed so much. It just completely distorted the market. And like I said, you know, people are sitting on record equity, record low rates. It's just, it's hard to see any scenario in which the housing market crashes. Now there's one, if you've been paying attention to the crash bros out there, which I like to do, I like to see what, not my enemies, but the people who are kind of taking the opposite approach to my, you know, my position is we're not going to have a housing crash. So what are the people that is, there is going to be a housing crash. What are they saying? You know, it's the same people who, you know, when COVID hit, Oh, here come, here come all the foreclosures up. Oh, and then they, the moratorium hit. Okay. Well, once that's over, that's good. And then you're going to see the foreclosure crisis take hit. Then the housing crash is going to happen. And then of course the moratorium got lifted. And by the way, I just saw the latest data from the mortgage bankers association. Foreclosures are actually falling <laughs> nationally. So that got thrown away. And then it was, oh no, housing prices are rising too quickly. That's going to cause the crash. And now they've slowed. And so now they've moved on to what? Inventory. Inventory is now the catalyst for the next housing crash. And well, here's the problem. So as we all know, on Mondays, Altos Research releases their weekly data. And I've been saying this this whole time. Altos was the first one to see inventory levels decline 
at the start of this year, which they believe was going to cause the housing market to heat back up. And it did. And then in April, they saw inventory levels start to rise saying, hey, the housing market's about to cool down. And it did. And all the way until mid-July, we saw inventory levels increase by about 5 to 7% week over week. Boom, inventory levels taken off, skyrocketing. And then the cash, the cash bros, <laughs> they wish they were cash. They wish they were sitting on cash. The crash bros went, there it is. That's it. We found it. That is going to cause the next housing crash. These inventory levels are going to skyrocket. There's going to be so many houses out there. Vacancy rates are going to skyrocket. 2008 all over again. But then, as I mentioned, mid-July, all of a sudden, we started to see a slowdown in inventory growth week over week. It went from 5 to 7% down to 3%. And for the next three weeks, it was like 3.3, 3.5, And now in August, it has fallen once again, this time to 1%. So the inventory levels are continuing to grow, but not by 1%. Last week, it was less than 1%. This week, 1%. And I think right now, 544,000 single family homes are on the market. A normalized market you want to see between a million and 1.5. And so at this rate, if you're doing the math, <laughs> it would take, if you're growing at 1% week over week, I don't know what, like a year, a year and a half for inventory levels to get to normal. Better yet, a level that's going to cause a housing crash. And that's right now. You know, we'll see what happens with regards to these housing completions. We're getting some data tomorrow about housing completions. Could we see sort of the the market? That's the wild card. And Mike Simonson over at Altos has pointed that out, that that is the wild card in all of this. That if all of a sudden all of these, you know, con, these homes that were under construction and they couldn't get them to market, all of a sudden hit the market at the same time, it could, call, it could cause inventory levels of spike. And that could be the wild card that could then cause a bigger drop in home prices. But right now, I mean, 1% week over week, it's not enough. In fact, he's now projecting that we're going to end the year at like 600,000. That That's well below a normalized housing market. So, I mean, we're not even close. We're, we're not even on track to have a normalized inventory level, better yet an inventory level that would cause a housing crash. So, sorry, crash bros. <laughs> It doesn't look like we're going to see that housing crash after all. But once again, you know, the, the housing, the housing data, um, the new construction, that is the wild card. If all of a sudden supply chains open back up and they finish all these homes at once, that could, that could distort things towards the negative and maybe push the idea of a bigger housing. I think it would still be just a correction. I still don't think it would be a crash. Uh, I mentioned what's happening today real quick. 8.30 a.m. Build, building permits. Supposed to fall 3%, but based on the home builder confidence, I wouldn't be shocked if that number was was much bigger. Uh, and housing starts supposed to fall 1.3%. And like I said, once again, we're talking uh, home builder confidence falling to below the break-even point. I wouldn't be surprised if that number is bigger. All right, before we go, I did want to hit this piece by Allison Schrager. 
And this is in the companion newsletter. It's on the website. Once again, marketsandmortgages.com. But her main point is that the Fed, this is the headline of the piece, the Fed's damage to the housing market may last for years. And she points out, and I just mentioned this, that from the beginning of the pandemic to the ending of last year, so from March 2020, December 2021, the Case-Shiller Index had home prices rising 30%. So you're looking at now, we're probably talking about 40% in two years. Home prices jumped. And she points out that this was because of what the Fed decided to do. In the spring of 2020, the Fed was desperate to avoid economic collapse. So it reverted to the 2008 playbook and well, it's been the playbook for longer than that, at least with regards to lowering rates. Then of course, the 2008 edition, which was quantitative easing, buying long dated government bonds and mortgage backed securities. In 2020, the mortgage backed security market was in trouble. The Fed was even more aggressive than in 2008 and effectively became the only ultimate buyer of these securities, which puts which pushed rates into spring of 2021, down to 2.65%. Now, these actions were one big reason why rates fell so much. And she says buying mortgage-backed securities made sense in spring of 2020. Now, why they continued it for 18 months before they began tapering has not been explained, especially with the housing market as hot as it became. Now, even though the Fed has ended QE, and this is this is important, its role in fueling this screwy housing market, she writes, may last a decade. The Fed would like to shrink the size of its mortgage-backed security portfolio. So far, it's planned to do so by not reinvesting all the securities as mortgages are paid off. But... Higher rates mean fewer people will refinance, so the mortgage portfolio won't shrink as fast as the Fed anticipates. And then compounding that is there are whispers about the Fed selling some of its mortgage-backed securities. If that's the case, Charles Schwab expects that the MBS spread will grow even larger and odds are so mortgage rates, which will then discourage even more people from moving and selling which will then make it even take even longer for the Fed to reduce the balance sheet. It's kind of like a compounding problem. So there will also be a hangover from the very low rates in 2020 and 2021. Like many people, Schranger points out, I bought a home in spring of 21. Now between rising rates and a slowing housing market, I am not sure I can afford to move. The housing market may be slower and less liquid, just like the mortgage-backed security market. She says the Fed has come under a lot of criticism lately for being too late to raise rates in response to inflation, but another policy error could be that it kept buying so many mortgage-backed securities in 20 and 21 when the housing market was on fire and rates kept dropping. The Fed created major distortion in a market where most Americans have their wealth and the impact may be felt for decades. That's kind of the gist of it. I, I thought it was a very fascinating kind of look that, you know, they pushed rates down, now rates are up. They're hoping to, you know, remove some of the balance sheet and kind of reduce the balance sheet, I should say. But the problem is that's going to take even longer as rates get higher and people are discouraged from moving and paying off their mortgages. And it's, it's, it's a complicated issue. 
There's no doubt. And nobody, I think, would argue that the Fed should not have been buying mortgage-backed securities in 2020. But um, Schranger points out why they wait so long <laughs> to stop making that move and what impact is that going to have? And could it last decades? Let's hope not. I hope not. <laughs> For my business's sake, I hope not. All right, well, I'm kind of impressed. My voice held up somewhat. I mean, I think it's it sounds okay, but we made it. 200th episode of Markets and Mortgages. We got a lot of housing data this week. We got existing home sales. I think that's Thursday. Today, we got building permits, housing starts. Wednesday, we got mortgage demand, as always. So a lot going on with regards to housing. But that's it. We are officially done. Good to be back. I, I'll tell you, I missed it. I missed it a little bit. I missed it being behind the mic. I can tell you, I kind of get kind of antsy. I was like, you know what? I want to get behind the mic. So here I am. And I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. And remember, as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait. Wait.